Welcome to the Weekly Exchange. This week in Forex and Strategy Game News, we have updates on ES2, Thea2, Stellaris, Planetfall, and much, much more. Troy. Hey, Troy. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. It's good to be here. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Today, we have a guest joining us. I'd like to welcome Micah. Hello, Micah. Hi, everyone. And um, he's going to be covering a couple of news items. So as the show progresses, I'm sure the avid listeners that we have will know why he's on. So, all right. I think we should start with our first news item. What do you say, guys? Hit it. All right. Okay. So a little bit of background. A lot of people, when they talk about their first 4X games, they're usually talking about Civ games, or they're talking about, you know, maybe Master of Orion. Though some people might even be talking about something like Space Empires or Stars. My first Space 4X game that really grabbed me was Ascendancy. And I'm constantly talking about this game. And this game came out in 95, was way ahead of its time. Was it a perfect game? Not at all. But then none of those games. Anyways, this past week, on my old email account that I don't really use all that often, I get an email from the Log- the official Logic Factory um, email. And I was like, wait, what? And this is basically a just just an update from the ma- one of the main developers. who's was a producer on the game, Todd Templeton. And um, this is just a hello, and here's what I've been up to, and here's what's going on, what's going on with us. So Todd is discussing things about his life. He's like, look, you know, I'm so sorry. Many years ago, we were talking about doing Ascendancy 2, and things came up. And then it was like seven years, I think, seven and a half years ago, they released, they ported Ascendancy to the iOS platform. And I think it sold pretty well. I know quite a few people that bought it. So, you know, I play it. I actually haven't upgraded one of the, one of the OSs on an older iPad just so I can keep playing it because it doesn't work with the newest operating system. So anyways, so he's, you know, he sent out this letter. He's explaining things. And I answered him. You know, I sent, because I used to actually, funny, funny enough, I used to exchange emails with him in the late 90s on a few occasions in the early 2000s. I still have those emails in that old account. So he, you know, I say, hey, you know, I'm really excited to hear from you. You know, I'm I'm from Explominate. We're 4X site, la, 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 la. And he responds back to me. He's like, oh, that's very cool. Let me check out your site. Let me, And then he gets back to me after that. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, that looks interesting. I would be totally up to doing an interview. Like we can, you know, talk about Ascendancy, maybe Ascendancy 2, maybe some other stuff. So that's that's basically it. I think I might have oversold it a little bit on Twitter when I was like, oh, man, Ascendancy News. Because I was really excited. And a bunch of people were like, what? Confirmation, Ascendancy 2 is coming. I'm like, uh, okay, sure. I, I don't think I said that anywhere, but why not? So that's what it is. I'm going to try to schedule an interview with him in the next, I don't know, maybe month or so. And uh, if he's up for it and we can line up, you know, the stars line up and we get our schedules right, 
It should be a fun interview, and I definitely will ask questions about Ascendancy 2. I'll ask questions about some of their other games, like the Tone Rebellion and Seeker and things like that. So, you know, if if it happens, actually, no. When it happens, I will give you guys a heads and gals. I'll give you a heads up, and maybe you can submit some questions that you'd like us to ask. So I think that's it. I think it's very important for me to clarify that. I do not have any advanced in, any advanced knowledge. And if you think that I was trying to get people to click, um, maybe a little bit. I, I, will, I will admit to that. Yeah, when I saw your tweets, I thought, oh, the Logic Factory is going to be making a new game or something. And <clears throat> the, the truth mm. is a little less impressive. But yeah, I would totally be up for interviewing him. That sounds like a, a lot of fun, very interesting uh, thing that we could do. So we definitely need to do that. Yep. Yep. We're going to move on to a modern game and talk about Endless Space 2 for a little while. We got a lot out of them this week. And the first thing was the Renegades Fleets, or the Renegade Fleets, I should say, uh, DLC or free content update. And what this is is kind of like new skins for ships and things in the game. And it, it's kind of like, um, I guess you would consider it like rogue factions within each fa- faction. So, for instance, the Cravers are uh, have this prime faction within them that are an offshoot of the Hive and uh, more closely tied to the Virtual Endless, and they get a new ship skin there. And the Sophons have this more militant, aggressive strain within their faction called the Mavros. And every now and then, when they feel like somebody's messing with them too much, they'll let the Mavros free <laughs> to attack them. And the Unfallen have, like, I don't think that the uh, the Renegade Fleet skins for the Unfallen are all that different from the ones we've already got, a little bit. But the lore, Firekeepers, in this sub-faction, monitors the fires that burn the brush on their worlds, that uh, melt the resin covers on their seeds so they can grow more Unfallen. And, like, that's their purpose, is to help perpetuate the species. Like, it's, it's really deep the unfallen are the a really unique faction in endless space too because everything about their their ecosystems and their history is different from the others because they're a plant-based faction rather than you know i don't know well i guess they're all kind of different really Uh, right right uh the well they're the community they're part community yeah and actually rob is the one who came up with uh like the the faction design in the sense of the lore, you know, that was his faction Mm -hmm. and different members of the community contributed like to the art and then the community contributed part of the, like their quest system and stuff like that. So this is like the, with each game, they always have like a community faction. So that's, that was the first one. Right. The Vojani heretic ships are like this beautiful white. They're so different from the other Vojani, which are kind of black and yellow. So it's just gorgeous. All this new thing. It's, Mostly cosmetic, really. Um, not not much. But, I mean, just getting to see this new art is a treat in and of itself. So, I really appreciate that. They also, well, speaking of art, they, they talked a lot about art this past week. And fans have been asking for more out of Amplitude when it comes to the storylines and the lore. And, uh, you know, Jeff Spock is, is a guy that, is kind of in charge of the lore for the endless games at Amplitude. And so he is partnering with um, an artist, Yoon Seong's 
park. And they're making like these little um, graphic novellas, uh, small comic strips that involve factions from Endless Space 2. So like the, the first one here that, that they're showcasing in the developer update is about the Hisho. And it's really cool. You get a lot of new lore and information about them. And wow, like it's, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Well, they have actually, this is part of a series. I believe right. they have like six or seven out of, I, I don't know the exact number, but the, you're right. You know, they keep adding it and it's just fleshing out more and more of the story. And it's, it's awesome. It's so much fun. Yeah, and finally, uh, we had some quality time with Jeff Spock talking about the Endless 3D art. And he sits down with uh, one of their 3D artists, Cedric, and they talk about the process for getting the art and the inspiration and how it's made and all this sort of thing. We're going to link it, the video, in the notes since it's kind of difficult to describe a video in a podcast. But, yeah, especially one about art. But, anyway... In French. In French. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really, I mean, it's really fantastic. All that Amplitude gave us this past week concerning the art for the game and the lore for the game. Um, we're getting a lot of insight into the aesthetics of Endless Space 2, and it has great aesthetics. Yes, that's, uh, you know, each game out there right now will have its own fans and detractors. And usually you'll have people saying things like, oh, I love the lore or, oh, I love the tech or, oh, I love the play or whatever. But I don't think I've ever, ever seen anyone say, oh, man, those endless games are so ugly. I can't even stand to look at them. They're so ugly, you know, or the music is so bad. I can't stand to listen. So when when Amplitude shows off how they get to where they are with the art and like the various stages of creating the art. I think a lot of people that are interested in this aspect of game making should take heed because they're, they, in my opinion, they are the best out there. There's other good ones. There's other great ones, but they're the best. And th this week they got to show that in, in several different ways, be it in 3d art, be it in the comics or actually showing, by the way, uh, the Renegade Fleets. Do you remember how they had that Publishers Weekend a while back? Yeah. That's this is part of it. So one of the things was is like the more people that play the various endless games, Endless Space One, Endless Space Two, Endless Legend, Dungeon of the Endless, the more people play, they start opening up these achievements. And part of that, these this is the rewards for that. So enough people played to where they're like, Okay, cool, cool, cool. We like this. Thank you very much. Here, we'll we'll kick you down some really cool stuff a little bit later on. And that's that's what the Renegade fleets are. And it's free. Again, a lot of places charge for this stuff. You know, they don't they might give you a little bit of story for free. And they might give you a little bit of this. But if it's like an art pack, they usually end up charging, not Amplitude. And that's pretty cool. Okay, well, let's move on to talk about Stellaris. So the, um, the last couple of weeks, the last four weeks, they've been talking about one set of mechanics, like the planetary mechanics. Now they're switching to the market, to the galactic market. And um, just as a quick aside, even before I talk about it, Prior versions, or at least the current version of Stellaris, sort of kind of has something, but it's obfuscated. Like, there is trade going on within your empire, but you can't really see it. You don't really have any impact on it. So what this new mechanic that they're introducing in Leguin, or or this is most likely probably going to be part of the... Most likely probably like that. This is going to be part of the... Um, 
paid content because it's a major mechanic is that there's a market, but there's going to be two versions to the market. There's going to be an internal market and a galactic market. So an internal market is how your empire trades within itself. And one of the mechanisms they're putting into the market well, okay, let, let's go for internal first. So internal is like how you trade amongst yourselves and there's going to it's going to be more expensive to trade with yourself. But what do I mean by trading with yourself? How are you trading with yourself? Well, your empire is not just you're the leader and that's it. Everybody's your minion. That's one type of empire. You know, your empire has corporations. Your empire has businesses. Your empire has business interests. So what it is is, is that these, you're going to be able to purchase things as a government from particular business interests that might be pursuing, you know, whatever it is they're doing. So I'm, I'm guessing that they're going to talk more about this later. But essentially, if, if you as a government, when you settle a system, and let's say there isn't a particular resource in there, but you need this resource for, you know, upgrade your weapons or buildings or something like that, you can trade, you can get it internally, but it's a higher cost. Now, once you start expanding and meeting other, um, you know, the other races in space, or maybe even the enclave, the economic enclave, you can trade with them in a galactic trade system. But there's a thing put into place where it's actually going to be 30%. There's going to be a 30% markup on these trades. And the reason is because they don't want you buying a resource cheap, selling it high so you can game the market, basically. And they're, I think they're taking a hint because this is kind of something that you can do in endless space to a degree, a little bit. But they, in Stellaris, they have a couple of different mechanisms. You you can do like bulk purchases. You can do monthly purchases. You can set up monthly trades where you're trading a certain good every month for a certain amount of resources. Now, the question is, what's going to happen if the price fluctuates from month to month? So I'm, I'm sure they'll tell us more about that. And then remember how I mentioned the enclaves? Yeah, those are like those are like the independent factions that could be like a station full of artists or scientists or archaeologists or something like that. Well, the economic ones in the past, you could trade uh, credits for energy or, you know, things of that nature. They changed that. Now you're going to be able to get the rare resources from them. So that's the purpose they're going to serve. And another thing they talk about is like, this is the way the internal and external market work and who has it available to them is also going to depend. So for example, if you are, um, what is the, what is, they have an interesting example. What is the example they use? They use, so one, one of the factions, for example, in, in the game, that's a focused faction. So my guess it would be something like the like the an Android faction or an AI faction. You're not really gonna have trade. It doesn't make sense to have independent components of your empire having a different mindset than you, or maybe even in maybe even in hive. So what it is, it's like requisition. So when you're trading, you know, maybe these guys are better at it. So you you're trading almost like trading in requisition points. But anyways, the point is is that each faction, each government type, each um, variation is going to have slight differences to it. And then, of course, there's always this is Stellaris, so there's slavery in Stellaris. It's a big component of the game, and they're saving that for a unique um, develop, dev diary. And I have a feeling that the people that are triggered by slavery and by things of that nature in Stellaris, when they see what happens there, I think they're going to be very, very angry. So yeah, there's that. What about why don't you tell us a little bit about the other space grand strategy, Stellar Monarch? All right, you got uh, something of an update this past week. 
uh, version 1.27 was released, and it allows ethnic customization for your people that are in your court. And this is cosmetic only, and really only has to do with the names. So you get three different choices now for names. So Western Europe, North America, and Eastern, which uh, holds names, it says here, holds names typical for Eastern Europe and Oriental groups. So that's an interesting combination to put together. Uh, But this is something you can do during the game setup. There's an extra button for it, and you can even choose like a mixed ethnic group, and it'll throw them all together. Um, Included with this are better names for characters and better name generator, and it's going to prefer shorter names. Uh, than longer names. Uh, it's kind of interesting here. And uh, like a couple other tweaks to the Emperor and his genetic makeup and things like that. A few small bug fixes. I don't know. He's also rebalancing the different factions to give the factions like, a, I don't know, a bit more character. Flavor? To the, yeah, flavor perhaps. You know, um, economists tend to be less corrupted. Traditionalists tend to be more competent. Things like that that will give you a bit of a different experience when you play the game. And that's fine. I didn't really notice or care about that too much when I was playing the game. But I suppose these differences will make it a a bit more interesting to, I don't know, engage with what's going on. I I don't think that the changes were large enough that it's going to make a huge difference in play. Which is something I would have preferred. If you're going to make a change, like make it big. like Make it matter. Make it really matter. And I'm not sure that's what mm. happened here. Well, some of the smaller changes are probably quality of life stuff. And, or aesthetic. Um, well, aesthetic. when I say quality of life, not every quality of life is, a, oh, man, I upgraded the AI or I reworked diplomacy. But quality of life is based, at least the way I look at it, it's based on community feedback. So if the people that are currently playing the game are saying stuff like, oh, man, all these things are the same, he's like, okay, well, what can I do to differentiate it without changing the mechanics? Because once you start messing with mechanics, you never really know where that change stops. You know, it starts a cascading event, and before long, you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have touched it. <laughs> right. So, so what about know, so uh, these kind of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about Interstellar Space Genesis? What, you, what can you tell us about that game? Sure. So they just released the 10th Dev Diary, and it's called The Colony View. And I'm not going to mention... So they're they're discussing two games in here, and I'm only going to mention one of them because if I mention the other one, I know you're going to go off on a rant. So I shall not mention the other game. But the one game that I will mention is Imperium Galactica 2. And basically what they're talking about is that in these two games, the unmentioned one and Imperium Galactica 2, you could see what your colony looks like. So if you looked on your colony and as you're building it up, you could see what it looks like. I mean, basically in many 4X games, space 4X games, so... Not all of them, but many of them. When you are doing stuff to your planets, your planet changes. So, for example, in Endless Phase 2, you'll get more lights and more orbital traffic and uh, or stuff in orbit appears. In Stellaris, as your planet grows, you'll get your background view behind your leader. Like, you know, it changes and it gets like more and more you know, developed and things like that. And it also has to do with the fact of what type of species you play, what type of environment. So in Interstellar Interstellar Space Genesis, uh, they have the procedurally generated planets. 
So you're going to have, depending on what planet, you'll have different features in the background. And then the structures that you're building are going to appear on it. Now, is it going to look like SimCity or City Skylines? No, at least not yet. If it does, that would be cool, but I think that might be too much. But who knows? What they're going to do is that they're going to have, like, the variety of where the buildings are and possibly they're going to be, even though it's the same relative buildings from species to species, they'll at least have different packages. So they'll look different. So it won't be, it won't look like Endless Legend or Civ or something like that, you know, or, or Age of Wonders, but it will have a different look. So if you want to go in there and check it out, you can. And they're supposed, they're saying that there are going to be some effects. There's going to be, um, and this is, of course, based on feedback from the beta testers that are like, oh, man, you know, we would love to see this. We'd love to see that. So they're like, OK, let's see what we can do with that. So they have they have already a whole bunch of art for it and they're getting more and they're still taking suggestions as to, you know, what can be done. So this is strictly visual, you know, but this is like that immersion. You know, this is what gets you into it. So if you look in at a planet and every single planet looks the same and every single thing looks the same, you're like, eh, I don't care. But here they're like, no, no, it's going to be cool. Come take a look. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the updates this week have to do with aesthetics and visuals and artwork and things like that. It's kind of interesting. It is. And, uh, okay, Micah, so why don't you tell us about Age of Wonders Planetfall? Right. So this week, I think on the 11th, um, Triumph Studios released um, on the Paradox YouTube channel uh, the first faction overview video. Uh, there, I'm sure there's going to be more. Uh, this one has to do with the Vanguard. Uh, it's only about three, three and a half minutes long. Uh, I'm sure that there will be a note, uh, a link in the notes that will either go to that video or a video of a dog riding a skateboard. Um, but if it goes to the uh, Age of Wonders Planetfall video, what you're going to see is kind of a human-based faction that's going to remind you of you know, the Terrans in, like, maybe StarCraft II, um, you know, Space Marines, not necessarily, like, Warhammer Space Marines, but more like Starship Trooper Space Marines. Um, mm. And, um, you know, what was interesting about the video is that it is presented kind of in lore. In other words, it's not a developer who's uh, narrating the video. It's actually narrated, like, by... It almost sounds like a woman that's supposed to be like a newscaster or something. It's, it's that kind of, of a voice. And uh, the lore premise for this, this faction is, is pretty cool. The idea is that they were um, the vanguard. This, this, they're a military group. They were, they were sent out and while uh, into space. And while they were, while they were in hi uh, hibernation, uh, something happened to the star union, which I guess was the big civilization. And by the time they wake up, Everything is gone. It's just in ruins, and they don't seem to know, you know, what happened. Um, and so their goal seems to be to kind of rebuild, uh, retake uh, planets that I guess were part of the Star Union uh, and things like that. Uh, and then, so while this, while the newscaster lady's telling you all this, you're you're kind of seeing on the screen um, units moving around maps and, and things like that. They they give a little bit of an overview of some of the units. There's there's infantry. There are there are tanks. Um, there's uh, close air support type units. I mean the kinds of things you would expect. You know, like I said, in kind of a uh, Terran Starcraft style uh, faction. Now the other interesting thing though is that 
I, and, it's, and this may not mean anything. It's just something I noticed. Throughout the entire video, they never say the word human, right? But when you look at them, they they appear to be human humans, right? Uh, but they never call them humans or Terrans or anything like that. They, um, and I, I'm not sure if that's on purpose or not. I know that... Um, you know, they, you know, Triumph has said that what we're not exactly doing is is lifting races out of Age of Wonders, you know, Shadow Magic or Age of Wonders 3, and then saying, what if they had spaceships, right? They're not doing that. Although, if you're listening, Triumph Studios, I want space dwarfs. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, since they're not doing that, it, it just made me think of, it just made me kind of perk up my ears at not only what I was hearing, but what I wasn't hearing. So uh, that could be interesting. But the video is pretty cool. I recommend everybody watch it. Um, Because the other thing you kind of see is you see uh, some combat sequences. And, uh, you know, we've heard comparisons to XCOM when it comes to the combat. And you definitely saw some of that because you could see that, like, uh, a unit of infantry was selected and, and um, they were going to be put into Overwatch. Well, you know, in XCOM, your Overwatch is just you like whatever area is vaguely in front of that character, the way they're facing, right? Well, in in this, what it looked like, at least, was that you can kind of designate, you know, a swath of hexes on the tactical uh, battlefield to be under your overwatch. Now, of course it's limited, right? Like it only extends out so far and, you know, um, but, but it it appeared that whoever was playing the game was actually choosing like which group of hexes that particular unit was watching uh, with their overwatch. So some pretty interesting things there, you know, they don't really talk about them. You just kind of have to be watching and paying attention uh, to what's going on. So it's pretty exciting. Um, and of course, there's the Q and A video uh, that's up as well. It's all on Paradox's uh, YouTube channel, uh, and I'm sure that um, whoever does the actual work around here will make sure that there are links in the notes. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I do the work, Me and Joe. Well, I I, I I didn't want to give the wrong person credit, so you know. No, there's no such thing. Everybody works around here. There's no free lunch. Joe does a great job with the notes. You all work for free, but there's no free lunch in return. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, um, what's what's really cool is that you're right. They don't mention humans directly, but they are humanoid, and they do look like humans. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. You know, it could be some offshoot of humanity. But I told you, the space dwarves sort of exist in here. So there is a dwarfy faction already. That, but they're more alien than dwarves. They look like a little bit like the power armor from one of the Fallout games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 I, I, they look interesting. They look. Interesting. Yeah, so it'll, it'll be good. I'm, I'm, I'm so hyped for this. I'm so hyped. I'm so ready for this game. I definitely have gotten more excited about it the more uh, videos they have released. Um, I mean, I, I've been an Age of Wonders fan since. Um, Age of Wonders 2 and and then the standalone expansion Shadow Magic. Um, and so, you know, when when they announced it, I have to admit I was a little skeptical. I was like, you know, science fiction Age of Wonders, it's it's kind of a fantasy series. That's that's what they do. And right. so I was, you know, really kind of apprehensive about it, but the more I've seen, uh, the more excited I find myself getting. 
Excellent. Excellent. Your seat is reserved on the hype train. Let me know when you want to take it. Anytime you're ready, I'll tell you what row you're on. Right. So, But don't wait too long because the VIP seating is filling up. I don't know if you want to ride coach, you know, or what. With the cargo, you got to, you know, don't wait too long. So, all right, Troy. This week we had, I know you're very excited about this. So why don't you go ahead and tell us about Thea 2. Yeah, so we got a pretty interesting update from Muha Games about Thea 2 this week. And again, they're talking about children. So I imagine they must be really proud of this mechanic, how children work in this game. You start off with a kid that can't carry much or do much, and then there's an event or maybe a quest that you can do that helps the kid grow up into an adult. And then the stats and role and class for that kid is is decided, and they become whatever type of person they're going to become. So you can kind of try to guide them along. Like, if you want them to become a healer, you can try to guide them in that direction. But the results of the event might lead them to become, like, I don't know, a builder or, or a, a, a craftsman of some kind. So that's kind of interesting that you have some agency, but not total agency in deciding how the children grow up. Uh, spe- keeping with that theme, leveling up is going to work differently in Thea 2. In Thea 1, I mean, it was, it was pretty random. Characters would gain experience, and I, I don't know if I'd even call it gain levels, but they would get new bonuses, really, from time to time. And you didn't have much say over what those bonuses were. Sometimes it was a, from a quest or a random event, or sometimes, they, like I said, they gained the XP and they'd level up. Well, in Thea 2, you're going to have some more agency over that. You'll get to make some choices, not complete choices, because then you could just take a character probably in a different direction than what their role in the game would really encourage them to be. So you're going to get more choice, but again, not complete choice. And that theme of some choice, but not total choice, carries on into uh, the gods that you get to choose at the beginning of the game. And this is really cool. So in Thea 1, part of the game was unlocking the deities of the pantheon the more you played. So the more you played and the better you played, you earned kind of like experience points that would unlock deities at random as you made progress. Those deities had levels in and of themselves. And so you could unlock their levels and get new bonuses, but those bonuses were decided ahead of time. You had no choice. The, the only choice you made is what deity are you going to level up? Well, now you still have that choice. What deity are you going to level up? But you get to decide to a certain degree what that deity's bonuses will be. They're going to get a certain number of card slots. And you're going to fill those slots during game setup. One slot is dedicated to whatever that deity um, embodies, let's say. Uh, Perhaps they embody um, life. So they'll help your crops grow and your people heal or perhaps they embody uh, dark magic and so you'll be able to interact with the undead better that sort of thing that you can't change but the bonus card slots you will get to decide from game to game what goes into that slot and those slots can also be increased in power level so like you're going to have a lot of choice and a lot of agency. And even if you're playing the same deity over and over, it's not going to be the same experience over and over because you can mix and match their abilities. And I'm looking here at about uh, 16 
different cards to choose from. That's a lot. That is a lot of different cards to choose from. And there may be more. Actually, it does say that there are multiple pages. So there could be more than 16. That's pretty incredible. So as you play the game, you'll unlock more slots, you'll get more powerful abilities, and you'll get to customize your DD, which start chooses a lot of things for you, like your starting conditions, how likely your, your characters are going to be to survive, and this sort of thing. And Muha Games is bringing this to EGX Birmingham. So if you're going to be, and that's not Birmingham, Alabama, that's Birmingham, England. So if you're going to be there, you can check it out. And in addition to all this, they... Uh, kind of gave us uh, sort of a let's play of the pre-alpha and uh, Mila was showing off the game and the early part like setting up and how you have your characters you don't start with a town in this one like you did in the previous one you're just going to start with your characters and you start doing quests and having events immediately and I'm already looking at the icons and the UI for the game and it looks beautiful it's already a gorgeous game and I imagine it's just going to improve more and more mm-hmm. as time goes on. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about this. How about you, Nate? Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you on, on the Thea hype train. That is definitely one of my most anticipated games for next year when it comes out. And I'm very much looking forward to getting my hands on it for play. But here's the thing. When I saw what... So one of the things for me that I like is that... In Thea 1, kids basically were born on the Cabbage Patch, so they're pretty much Cabbage Patch kids, you know? It was that whole thing. And you carry them around like an item, and next thing you know, halfway through the mission, boom, your 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 Cabbage child is now a full-fledged adult. And that was kind of like, okay, here, you know, they're growing up, and they're giving them stuff like, okay, they can have a shield for defense, because obviously, you know, defending themselves, they can have a pet, they can have a necklace, but they cannot have a weapon. And I asked, I asked uh, Mila about it. I tweeted out to her asking her if the, if it would make sense that at least some of the kids, I mean, you know, six, seven, they're six, seven, eight year olds that are pretty large kids and they're pretty like physically capable, even though they're young. So couldn't a child that's like that be able to brandish at least a rudimentary weapon in the defense of themselves or, you know, their their loved ones or their village, other villagers with them and things like that. So I'm curious to see what she says about that, because that could that can almost mean like, you know, this child is physically gifted, maybe will be a warrior, but then he or she develops a spark for knowledge and they become like a healer or they become a scholar or something like that or so, whatever classes they end up having. But yeah, I'm I'm excited and uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so now for those that have been listening for this, here you go. Micah, please tell us about the new Dominions 5 update. Right, so two days ago as of uh, right now when we're recording... Uh, Dominions 5 received yet another update. Uh, they happen pretty frequently. Um, it's one of the things the series is famous for. Uh, it's mostly, mostly uh, bug fixes, balance tweaks, the kinds of things that they're always doing, right? Illwinter is always making those little adjustments uh, as they get feedback from players and, and just as they continue to play their own game and, and you know, just doing the little stuff. But the big news... Uh, with this update, is that they have added a faction, um, and and I should 
I should say just a little bit about how the factions work in this game because it's a little different. Uh, there, dominions. Um, you can play a game of dominions in one of three different ages. You know, uh, through time, early, middle, and late. Uh, very creatively named, right? Well, what will happen is is that uh, various factions will start out in the early ages where magic is more powerful and technology is not so good. And um, through history, they may evolve into something else by the time you get to the late age where magic is less powerful and technology is better. So like there's this one faction, for example, in the early age is very um, very similar to kind of uh, a, a fantasy Roman empire. It's kind of a good way to think of them. Well, by the time you get to the middle age, they've been experimenting with like um, you know, death magic and stuff like that. And the next thing you know, in the in the Middle Ages, uh, it's basically like an an undead fantasy Roman faction. And you know, in the late age, the, you know, it changes yet again. And there have been some factions though that you, you know may, might start out in the early ages, but they don't have a faction. They're not represented in the late age. They something happened to them. Who knows what? Right? They're just not there. And new ones maybe have popped up. So what they did was is they added a late-age faction uh, that is, I'm going to choose to pronounce it as Phlegra, uh, P-H-L-E-G-R-A. Ill Winter gives you like a 350-page manual with this game, and at no point do they include a pronunciation guide. So you just do the best you can. Um, But uh, it's a very interesting faction. I have not actually played as them uh, because I have read that they're not really... Uh, going to be beginner friendly, but um, uh, the idea is it's uh, a kingdom of giant cyclopses and uh, human um, slaves, uh, slave armies, and uh, you, you, the armies are kind of a combination of, of, of some larger units and some human-sized units. And um, but one of the interesting things apparently about the faction is that a couple of years into any game, it is basically guaranteed, as I understand it that a volcano in your starting area will erupt and it will allow you to recruit uh, units that are like size 5 or size 6, which is a big deal in Dominions. Uh, larger units uh, do a lot more damage in combat. They're a lot harder to kill. I mean, if you have a strong size 6 unit, which oftentimes is your uh, pretender god itself, um, and if, they're, you know, have they, if they have their, some of the right spells and are set up properly... They can be virtually indestructible, and so um, apparently you can use this faction to like you. you you're not going to make big, massive armies and send them out into the world. You're going to make uh, armies with maybe three, four, five units in them and stomp all over. Uh, sometimes literally, because they're giants. Um, you know, smaller uh, races and uh, kind of do things that way. So it's uh, it sounds pretty cool. Uh, like I say, I haven't haven't played it myself because uh, by all accounts it's uh, not a good idea for beginners and and I'm definitely still a beginner uh, with Dominions 5 but you know even after all this time it's exciting to see that uh, you know major new content is added to the game and just like every update they do it's it's free uh, to everyone who owns the game I I'm not aware that they've ever done paid DLC, DLC for any of their games um just kind of seems to be their policy that that things kind of um, you know once you buy the game you're you're along for the ride. Um, so there's some good information about it if you're interested. If you go to the uh, Steam forums, uh, the Dominion's Five Steam forums, there's a there's a couple of pretty good threads in there if you're if you're interested in in some of the details. Um, 
and uh, the subreddit, the uh, Dominions subreddit. There's some information there too. Um, you know, in uh, I'm sure there'll be a link to the actual announcement, but then the announcement itself. You know, Ill Winter's announcements are usually um, they're detailed in, in the sense that you get a list of all the changes that they made, um, but they're you know it's pretty limited in terms of stuff like this. Like it just tells you that they added the faction. It doesn't tell you what you know what kind of units they have or what they're good at or you know anything like that. Like you kind of have to figure some of that out for yourself. And the in-game descriptions are, are good. Uh, I took a look at those before we started recording. But like I say, there's some good good uh, message board posts out there that I would recommend if you want more details about about the faction itself, because you won't find it in Illwinter's announcement. Well, you can ask the questions in our Dominions 5 thread in our forum, because we have, I'd say, six or seven like power players that are massive fans of the franchise. Yeah. And they're... You know, keeping the torch lit to make sure that we are on top of things. And I just want to go over that a little bit. So anytime that any game posts a game that we follow or some or a genre that we are into posts news, we talk about it. So it wasn't this, it wasn't as often with Dominions earlier in the year because it was just so much going on. But now that things are slowed down, we do it. We change the the way we do the weekly exchange where we have guests on that, <clears throat> like a co-host that will talk about a couple of games that they're covering. So in this regard, Micah is on to talk about Dominions. And as a reminder, he's the one who's writing this review. <laughs> Please do not get mad at me. I'm not writing the Dominions review. I'm going to edit it. I'm going to help edit it. I'm going to... You know, do some fact checking, but the the review will be written by Micah. So don't get mad if I'm not taking ownership of I'm writing Dominions. I'm writing a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh, so so, just, so send all complaints to Nate. That's what I'm hearing, right? Well, uh, yeah, well, that happens anyways. <laughs> you know, right? That, yeah, and 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 I, you know, I really like Dominions Five, but this is my first uh, Dominions game. I've never played any before this, and so. Um, in a sense, it's still all very new uh, to me, and so, and it, it's a game that you know you have to play a while before you can. Right. I mean, we try to play all all the games that we write about. We try to play for you know pretty pretty hefty chunks of of time right. um, in you terms of viewing. Gotta digest the information too. It's not you can easily play 40, 50 hours, but if you don't think about the play and you don't take time between the play then anybody that actually plays the game will be like, did you just leave the computer on and not even play? And it's like, no, we played it. That's <laughs> why we take time. That's why I we're mean, trying to... I, that's not an excuse for why reviews are running late this year. So that's a whole other story. Now, yeah. Which I'm going to make a separate... Wait, let's not get into that. No, no, you know, I'm not. I'm not. in I'm, for the news, so let's, uh, I, let's I, give I, them that. I, yes, I will. So two things. I will make a post about it this week. A more detailed separate post on the website so stay tuned for that and the second thing there was actually a question in that thread saying hey uh, the guy that wrote your dominions for review ben is he still around so as a follow-up to that i will also answer that in that post not to take anything away from today's show but i will explain 
you know, what's going on in there. And then everybody will be like, oh, okay. So what you're saying is, Nate, it's all your fault. And it's like, yes, all right, fine. It's all my fault. <laughs> I accept the blame. It is my fault. So, all right, let's move on to another game. Now, this is a game that we covered in the past, and this is a hybrid. This is a 4X crossed with a tower defense. I mean, why not? Everybody's always asking for, let's try to, to like, grab different genres and mix them with 4x and see what comes out so this is a game called empire and ruins and here we empire empires empires and ruins and they're discussing the beta so they've been in a beta now for two months and collecting feedback from it and we'll have links for all of this so if you're curious to take a look by all means please check the notes and thanks joe because you're doing a killer job with that so the update is is that they're fixing a bunch of bugs with um, the info panels. They're fixing issues with pause system. There are uh, there. T- what is this? Aha! Uh-huh. Yes, here we go. So they're remaking some of the units. They are uh, working on the art. They're fixing up the dialogue, and you know, just going back on the feedback that they're getting. Now, if you're still kind of scratching your head and saying, "Wait a minute, what do you mean, four X?" And tower defense. How does that work? So we did a Q&A with them, and we'll link it in the notes as well. Kind of a throwback for you to look at. But they have a post on IndieDB.com that explains what the game is. How is it a 4X? How is it a tower defense? What is really going on here? And we will have that there as well. So I can just repeat what's written there, or you can go and click and look at it real quickly because there's some really cool art in there. And it's really interesting. And this is, again, this is one of those games that for us, it's kind of like a dark horse. You know, will it be good? Will it be bad? Hard to say, but I can tell you this much. The developer, he's very active on Twitter. He's a really nice guy, very easy to talk to. He's also, an, I believe, an amazing cook. So if you ever <laughs> want to see what some developers do on the side, this dude can be a chef at like a Michelin-rated restaurant easily. So I like following him and looking at the stuff. I can't eat the stuff he makes, but it looks good. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I just I kind of had to throw it out there. It's it's he he's his cooking's amazing, and I'm hoping that that level of detail and focus is what's going to drive this game because I can see the the, the detail and focus in the game. Oh like, yeah, you can definitely see that in the you, game. Like there's a lot of shares about the game. There's a lot of attention to detail. Right? I have no idea right? if it'll be fun to play. But there's certainly attention to detail. Yeah, well, you can, we can say that about every single game. Even our favorite games, we don't know if they'll be fun to play until we sit down to play them. You know, So from what I see, it looks very interesting, and it could be fun. Now, if you hate power defense... I don't know what to tell you, but then I hate tower defense. I'm just, I'm very much against it. But yet I got into Dungeon of the Endless, which is basically essentially a tower defense game set in the Endless universe. So, you know, there you go. But as long as it's not a first person shooter, if it's a first person shooter, forget it. I'm done. I'm not even going to try it. Yeah, that 4X first person shooter hybrid. It's uh, coming. You know, somebody's yeah, gonna right. somebody's gonna do something like that. You know it is. You yeah, know that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on to Civ Six. What do we got on that? So this is a more mainstream news item. So about maybe a week and a half ago, there was a very very strong earthquake in Japan. Now, what does an earthquake in Japan have to do with Civilization Six? Well, there was going to be a Nintendo Direct. This wasn't last Thursday, or maybe was it last Thursday? I think it might have been I think last it was. Thursday. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. think it was so a week ago. So a little bit over a week ago, nine days ago, we're recording on a Saturday night. So they were supposed to have a direct and they didn't. And a whole bunch of companies started trickling out information. They're like, wait a minute, we've been planning for this. We're gonna they're gonna make a whole big, you know, deal about it. And it didn't happen. So we actually mentioned this last week, I believe. Yes. For a split did. second, that Civilization Six is being ported to Switch. Now, what we didn't do is we didn't give the release date, which is November 16th, as of, you know, when they release the video that's going to be attached in the notes. So, again, let me repeat. Civilization Six is being ported to the Switch. I believe the first four DLC factions that came out with the game will also be included. So, it's not going to be Rise and Fall. It's going to be an earlier version of the game. So, it's almost like what's happening on the iOS where you have an earlier version of the game. So we'll have to see how they, you know, is it going to be like that? So for me personally, it's cool. And it's definitely something that I would consider, but I think I would rather play it on, if I was going to do it on a mobile device, I'd rather play it on a iPad versus a Switch because bigger screen, you don't have controllers, you just do everything like that. But that's just me. So that's that's kind of the news with that. So just w- something that we didn't have last week. We had no way to really, other than us telling you guys, now they released the video. It's like 50 seconds, 46 seconds long. It's pretty cool. They seem to be very excited about it. We're excited about it. If we get a copy, I'm sure Joshua's going to be like, yo, yo, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll write it up. In which case, mm-hmm. yes, why not? Uh, it's a 4X. It's on the Switch. Maybe, you know, I mean... There's other games coming to the Switch too, which we're going to talk about as well. So when we get to that. So, all right, let's talk about a game that is, at the time you hear this, it is, I think, going to be the day before the game comes out for Star Control Origin. Right. So this past week, we got a very lengthy development diary for Star Control Origins, and it's all about planetary composition, planetary habitats. And I'll try to summarize it as best I can here for you. The... The first part of it talks about how much time they intended players to spend on it. And at first, it was going to be a ton of time. And they decided that was wrong. And then they went to something where they'll just swoop in, scoop up a bunch of things, and leave real quick. And that was wrong. So they settled on something that's kind of in the middle, where you can expect to spend about three to four minutes exploring and um, exploiting a planet. I hate to use 4X terms because this is definitely not a 4X Collect, game. But collecting resources. Well, collecting it, resources. I mean, it is. It's explore, exploration and exploitation of planets to get resources you need for your for your ship. It's it's. Remember, this is kind of like a, a role-playing game where you're role-playing an entire ship and you're you're going to explore these planets and uh, siphon off the, the resources. There's tons of resources, all kinds of different things that you can get on this. And, like, I think they mentioned grass as one of the resources. So if you're raising cattle on your spaceship, that might be an important resource for you. And then it moves on to talk about planet types. And at first there were going to be 14, and then they're like, no, that that's just too many. This is ridiculous. So they whittled it down to 10 and made them a lot more conventional, and then they whittled it down even more. And they said, you know, we have all this technology for generating planets and terrains and doing it on the fly it's not going to be something that where you have a a loading screen while the game generates the planet it's going to do it on the fly as you approach land and explore so let's just have 64 different planet types and go with that 
And so, yeah, there's going to be 64 different planet types. And it goes into, like, minute detail about how the game is going to generate these planets. And it's like, well, we use this many lines from an XML file and this many from an FBX file and so on and so forth. Like, this means nothing to me. I'm actually pretty bad with technology. So, apparently... Uh, this is very cool for those who are into computer programming that they can get this much out of that little. And then it goes on to talk about elements that are on the planets, like rocks and trees and rivers and things like that. And Animals, too. Right. <clears throat> and these things are not procedurally generated like the rest of the planet. They actually had to be drawn by artists. So... It, it gives some props to these artists, rightfully so, I would say, for the amount of work and attention to detail they put into each object or prop, as the game calls it, in the game. Because it took a lot of work and a lot of expertise and skill to create all this. So the end result is you're going to have a ton of different planets. And each planet, even if they're the same type of planet, they're going to look and feel very different because the game judges its elevation and how the different resources are going to be masked and where you might find those resources and all these different 3d elements that they've created for it so star control is going to have a lot of depth a lot of depth of play a lot of depth for you to explore and enjoy the visuals for the game we covered this a bit last week are on the more cartoonish side but while they are whimsical they aren't corny and goofy it's a it is a serious game uh, expect death around every corner. My understanding is it's going to be pretty difficult. So there you go. That's the background on planetary generation and artwork for this game. Again, Nate, keeping with our theme about aesthetics and artwork going. Right. And um, we actually, Joshua and I actually got access to the full version of the game this week. Like the, the full, the 1.0 pre, uh, release build. So we're both playing with it but i can't speak about it for obvious reasons as usual well no no they, i mean uh, yeah man i've been playing this game can't talk about it Sorry. i can't talk about it because we're not supposed to talk about the story we're right. not supposed to talk about the elements that are not there so right, all right, i can right. say like is space two and no Legend. that's no 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 <laughs> yeah, no no I'm, that's I, I'm playing these games guys can't tell you about it Sorry. No, that's different. That's mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. This I'm doing as press. I'm not VIP or anything like that. Yeah, sure. This I'm just as a... Well, okay, fine, fine, whatever. So um, the real question at this point is as far as replayability. So I know that within the game itself, I'm not going to... It's not even about what I've seen, but just in general, in these type of games, how does re replayability play? So... You have certain missions. Is there going to be like a core set of missions that stretch out and you're going to have all kinds of side stuff to do? Or is it just going to be you choosing? So, you know what I mean? That's usually an issue with games of this type. And speaking of that, so let's move on to the next game, which is Battletech Flashpoint. So they also have a dev diary and they're explaining the mechanics behind what a Flashpoint is and what they have to change in the background in order to make it work. So the way you have it in Battletech right now, you have your main story and you have side missions, but they're not critical. It's not like if you don't do a side mission, something disappears 
or you no longer have access to something. It's not like that. You're a mercenary company. You have all these, like a board that says, hey, guys, we need a mercenary company that can handle a mission of this difficulty. And you go, you handle it, that's it. Depending on who this mission is for and who it is against, your relations with that factions might change. But that's that's really it. Flashpoint is changing that because Flashpoint is creating quest chain. So you're going to have actually multiple missions stringed up or strung up in a row that might have an impact on the overall game. Now, I don't know if this is going to be post the campaign, meaning after you beat the campaign. So I beat the campaign, for example, right? And then afterwards, the whole section of space, that whole quadrant is opened up and you can do missions wherever you want. But I don't know if this is going to be kind of how they did it in XCOM where when they released in the first game and then they released... Um, and so the first game is XCOM Enemy Unknown and then when they released Enemy Within, that kind of basically redid Enemy Unknown with more stuff. XCOM 2, they did the same thing with... Uh, when they released War of the Chosen, that it wasn't new stuff per se, but it was a redoing of all the old stuff with new stuff. So I don't know if Flashpoint is going to be like that. But one of the things they're talking about here is that they have to also change the mission structures around because it's not randomly generated planets with whatever just put there. They actually curated all the planets, where the structures, where the different... Uh, where you start. So if you reload it 55 times, you're not going to restart somewhere randomly because it's it's a it's not a procedurally generated in that sense. So they're going to have to do a rebalancing for that, and they're discussing it. And um, yeah, they talk about the reward system for it. So there's going to be unique rewards. So within the game, you have rewards as part of the main quest, like a like lost tech weapons and things like that. So we'll see how that plays out. So yeah, I'm I'm. I'm hyped. I'm a huge fan of Battletech. It it pretty much I think replaced XCOM 2 for now. So wow, yeah, any content deal. that is a big deal. That is. But I'm not playing any of those right now because I'm working on the reviews. Once I get the reviews out, then I can go to safely. I can go back to play again. And until then, as I promised, until the end of the year, I'm just going to be working on these reviews to make sure they're all done. Okay. So now, another game that I, I have access to, I just have not had time to play, but I really want to play, is Warhammer 40k Sanctus Reach. Now, this game, it's more, it's from Slytherin, and this is a 40k, and this is a lot like the tabletop game. But the game, as it, as it was up until this latest update, was it was just a bunch of missions, a bunch of scenarios. But now they created a sandbox where you can set up your own parameters and you can play whatever you want to play in there. And that now is, brings it even closer to how tabletop was. So one of the conversations I had with one of the with one of the developers was like, hey, you know, or publishers, PR rep, how is this going to be? How is it going to be? And this is they told me, oh, just you wait. We're going to have some really cool stuff coming later in the summer. And this is the cool stuff. And it's really nice. And uh, apparently they also added an Iron Man mode. So... It should be interesting to see what people think of it because I know it's well-received. It is definitely a solid game. And now it's just, you know, how solid is it, right? Like, is this sandbox mode, does it take it to the next level? Yeah, for sure. That's a good update for that game. Real good. Uh, Frostpunk, Frostpunk uh, also got an update this past week. And it's a, it's a sm scenario, small thing, centered on the town of Winterhome. And this brand new content is 
kind of a mystery that you get to solve as you play like what happened to this town why did it fall what what's going on here that might inform us about you know the the post-apocalyptic winter that has uh, befallen the world here so it there's not much to say about this uh the trailer is exceptionally short for this but yeah basically frostpunk getting a new scenario sort of a mystery that centers on the town of Winterhome. Very cool. And remember earlier how I said there's going to be some more games coming from that Nintendo Direct? Right. Well, here's another one. So a game that I reviewed, I think like two, two and a half years ago was Armello. Loved the game. Not too long ago, maybe within the past year, it came out to the um, iOS. And now it's being ported to the Switch. And I think this is one game that is a perfect port for the Switch. It is a really good game, and that's a perfect platform. Now, another game that was also announced as being ported to the Switch. So I, I don't know. Like, So Armello works on the Switch. Uh, Civilization VI might work on the Switch. I don't know. But this last game, City Skylines, that one, I, I don't know. That's a really complex game. It has a lot. Of moving parts like a lot i think in comparison sim city would almost be like a super light version of city skylines yeah and complex uh, incidentally and depth. Um, mm-hmm. sim city was on the super nintendo right but sim city is the first sim city not sim city 4 or sim city 2000 i think it was wasn't it uh it was That's kind right. of its own thing it, it was at it was a um it was a version of of the original Sim City, but it was um, it was highly modified, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in part graphically, in part just because of the hardware differences uh, mm-hmm. between you know computers and game consoles at the time. And then, of course, they added some some a little bit of Nintendo flavor in it uh, here and there, uh, just for fun. But yeah, right. it's well, but it's it's a really good version of that game. Actually, yeah, I agree. I really loved Sim City on the Super Nintendo. Well, we'll see because I know City Skylines has been ported to the consoles too. So why not? We'll see. I mean, hey, good luck to them. Good job. Let's let's see how it does. It's uh, it's an opportunity for them to break into a new market. Maybe that means that they're going to bring stuff like Europa Universalis or Crusader Kings Two or Stellaris or maybe even you know Edge. I know. So I know Planetfall is coming to the consoles. I know that, but maybe it'll come to the Switch too. Who knows? Well, it's always exciting to see um, strategy games of any kind on consoles. Those, you know, the strategy and consoles have always been a little bit of an awkward uh, fit. So it's good to see more of that happening these days. Right, right. Okay, well, let's uh, start. Let's move on to the last, second to last news item. So we've been, the last couple of months, I keep trying to feature one or two games in the what is section. So this week I'm going to talk about a game called Crying Sons. And this is this is a game that's going to be this is going to be a Steam game. And this is a rogue light tactical combat game. So interestingly enough, the link in the notes is going to show you some gameplay footage and it looks a little bit like AI War, but was slightly maybe AI War 2 because the graphics are somewhat improved. But the main features of the game are procedurally generated space exploration, because it's the universe is procedurally generated, so space exploration, tactical fights between battleships and their squadrons, 
300 plus story events, uh, six chapters. So there's going to looks like there's going to be a main campaign that has six chapters and uh, it's going to have a dark, as they say, a dark and disturbing atmosphere inspired by Foundation, Dune and Battlestar Galactica. So that looks that that sounds excellent. I'm really interested. I mean, the art is not, this is not going to be, you know, the most cutting edge stuff, but it looks, it looks pretty good for what it is. And I mean, this, this looks like it could even work really well on an iOS. And I think, oh, actually, there you go. They're saying that they're going to have a a version that's going to be for the iPad. And I think this game would work. I would totally buy it for the iPad. So click on the notes. Give it a look. Let us know what you think. And please let us know if you like us doing this, if you like us covering, you know, these uh, indie games that don't get exposure regularly. So we're definitely interested in your feedback on that. All right. So uh, for the bad news portion of our show, we're going to talk about how the European Parliament ended up passing the copyright directive that included Articles 11 and 13, better known as the link tax in upload filters. So basically, just to rehash this, Article 11 says that in the European Union, if a news agency wants, it can force people that link to its articles or whatever and include a portion of the text, like like a preview of the text, let's say a couple sentences. Uh, letting the people know what's what's on it, we'll have to pay them what what amounts to basically a royalty or a licensing fee in order to have that link. Now, if you just post the hyperlink and maybe one or two words, then you might not have to pay that licensing fee. It depends on how each individual member of the European Union implements it. And then, of course, Article 13 is the let's keep YouTube and Facebook in control of everything amendment that forces internet companies that host public content to scan anything that's uploaded or posted on their sites for copyrighted material. And if uh, the people that own the copyrights haven't, I guess, signed off on it or whatever, uh, those companies are responsible for taking it down. And if they don't, in fact, if they don't prevent it from being posted in the first place, not even like being DMCA'd, it's, it can't be posted in the first place. The, these companies can be held financially liable in the European Union. Uh, so if you post a video with uh, music from some famous artist or you use uh, a clip from some movie or something like that, uh, you could get Google in a lot of trouble, which I guess is kind of uh, a, a, a perverse incentive uh, to see if you can get these companies in trouble if you don't like them. I don't know. Anyway, what this does is it basically ensures that the powerful internet companies will stay powerful. One thing I don't see brought up in these articles very much, Nate and Micah, is Twitch. Live streaming is not discussed here at all. So what if somebody's live streaming and they play a Paul McCartney song in the background? Is How would Twitch filter that public content in real time i don't know if that's possible so would Mm. this kill live streaming in the european union i don't know Mm. no well you know okay so i i have made no secret of the fact on our forums that uh when i'm not um editing nate's grammar um (laughs) for for articles that i'm a lawyer um ouch 
Yeah, Ow. sorry. Well, well not just let, let, but... Let's just be real, Nate. Let's let's just be real. <laughs> yeah, let's be real. Yes, I'm. I am. What? Well, yeah, well, let's be real. Well, what's the reality here? I'm uh, waiting. So the reality is, continue. That's what we're going to yeah. do. <laughs> so I should I should say that you know I'm a I'm a lawyer in the United States uh, and am licensed to practice in the state that I live in. Uh, and I am not uh, an intellectual property attorney. That's that's not what I do. But all that being said, um, copyright trademark law is really complicated. Um, the attorneys who do specialize in it usually make a lot of money because it's really complicated. Um, and then you know this um, that we're talking about here, and I, I, I recommend everybody read the article because we're just talking about the article, but there's a lot of good information in there for anybody who's interested in this. But, but you know this is you're talking about international interactions here, right? Because uh, this is the European Union who, who is who is in the process of, of passing these laws, and they're doing it to regulate um, companies that um, have a global uh, business, right? And so, and are, you know, at least technically often based in the United States. And so uh, it, I, I think it's going to be, um, it's hard to say, I think, on the front end how all this is going to shake out in the end. I mean, I think you're right, Troy, that there are things that, um, like Twitch is a great example, that are not well anticipated, at least in 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 what I've read about it. Um, and And there are you know the other thing about trademarks and copyright laws is there's a lot of exceptions. Uh, there there are always a lot of exceptions, and so uh, it's hard to say. You know, it, it sounds bad, um, and um, you know I, I'm personally of the opinion that the uh, internet should remain as free and as open as it as it can uh, to promote the free exchange of of culture and ideas and and mm-hmm. you know the, the internet has caused us. Lots of problems, uh, but but there's been a lot of great things that have happened because of the internet too, you know. So, uh, but I, it's it's really really complicated, and I, you know this is probably a story that we will end up revisiting, whether it's uh, on our forums or on mm-hmm. a future episode of of the Wex. But you, I mean, it's I think it's a good idea for people interested in YouTube or um, Twitch to you know keep an eye on on these things. You know, a lot of times, uh, especially I know here in the United States. Anytime things like this happen, there's usually an opportunity for members of the public to comment uh, to the government agencies involved, and you have a chance to voice your opinion on why or why not. You know, you think it's a good idea. Um, I, I don't know to what extent you can do that in the EU, but um, you know, more more than here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. I mean, it, it's it, you know, to to that extent, I, I would encourage uh, our European. Uh, listeners uh, and readers to uh, to see what rights you have when it comes to uh, you know throwing in your two cents to the to the people who are required by law to at least consider what you have to say. There 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 are ways to do that. So right. So right. I want to play uh, devil's advocate. I want to well, play devil's advocate do, for a second. Okay. Before you do, we just need to mention that this was a procedural vote. Yeah, the yeah. final vote will not be until January, and I believe right. that's uh, kind of like what Micah was saying there, to allow time for public comment, further debate on this, mm-hmm. before the corporatists donate enough money to the European <laughs> Parliament 
to buy the votes that you need to pass it. So initially, this vote was going to be cast earlier in the summer when we talked about it. Right. And the feedback and the community outrage over this forced them to hold the secondary vote and to amend it. And now they're going to be discussing this latest set of amendments that were not that big. Now, here's so two things. So you had initially said, what would Twitch do in this case? Well, if this law passes, it's still not the end because individual countries within the European Union have to accept it. So until the whole European Union accepted, there might be sections of the European Union that don't. So that's going to be, you know, we're going to get to see like a play-by-play of how it works in a region. It would be the equivalent of one state in the U.S. accepts something, the other state doesn't, and how it works between the two states. Now, so the devil's advocate to this is that one of the arguments for this is that exactly what you're saying, Troy, the big American companies are controlling the information. So Google with their algorithms, you know, based on you look at a particular article and they're like, ooh, this this, uh, reader, this set of eyes likes to look at this. So the next time you open it, all the news are focused on that. Like you get 50 different sources telling you different things about this one topic. But in the way it works is that they try, they have a more emphasis on like the bigger providers. So what this law is supposedly, at least that's how they're trying to sell it to a lot of people in Europe, is that this law is supposed to protect the small creators. So the little guy gets the same amount of looks as the big guy. But if the little guy's news article gets uh, taken by the news aggregator, then the big guy is going to pay the little guy money. Otherwise, the little guy is doing all this work and doesn't get any credit or little girl, little person or whatever. You know, it's so difficult these days to talk because outright culture, every word is like 400 different meanings, you know. So the big company controls the message because it controls who looks at what from the little company. So that's kind of what they're trying to protect now. Well, and it's interesting to, to, you know, we think about these things through the lens of gaming. But if you zoom out a little bit, Mm -hmm. this is happening in the context of the European Union and countries within it. Uh, taking a broader interest in how the big companies that run the Internet as we know it today operate. I mean, if you think back a a year or two ago, I think now, you had – there were stories in the news about how Ireland was cracking down on – I think it was Google. Uh, This is all from memory. I I I think it was Facebook, not not Google, Facebook. Somewhere else was cracking down on Google. It was France, Germany or something were cracking down on Google. you know, Ireland was uh, was making a move to to collect uh, a couple of billion dollars uh, mm-hmm. worth of taxes uh, that were owed to oh, Ireland. That was Apple. But, oh, it was Apple. Okay, thanks, Troy. Yeah. yeah, but you know they hadn't paid them, and so you know, and and there's been some other things like the uh, you know the notices we've all gotten in our emails or yeah. when we visited websites about uh, tracking us on the internet. Well, that was uh, after the 25th, May 25th. Exactly. You know, so. So, you know, there there are bigger things, uh, you know, this is this law that we're talking about, you know, it's going to be in, it's in this article. It, it's part of the, a, a broader movement of the European Union and its members wanting to uh, regulate more tightly how these com- uh, companies operate in their yep. countries. Uh, and, uh, you know, I I hope that that's I hope that's a good thing. I, you know, I uh, tend to think that. You know, if if the laws are, you know, like you said, Nate, if they are designed to, to help the 
you know, level the playing field uh, a bit, then, they w- then right. maybe it's a good thing. You know, who but knows they if won't. it'll actually work out that is, way. But is that they won't. They're gonna yeah. crush. They're gonna crush the playing field and make it. Ah, ah we need the to move on. The little guys will this. just get ignored. <laughs> yeah. If people gotta right. pay, like, uh, okay, we'll just reduce the number of sites that we link articles to. That way, it's an easier thing to manage. So all the yep. little guys just get ignored. So. Yep. Yeah, anyway, it's really sad that the birthplace of the Enlightenment has almost no interest in it anymore. Right. So, why don't we just move on to games we're playing? Nate, who do you want to go first? Uh, Micah, being that he's our guest today, why don't you start? What are you playing, Micah? Right. So I uh, not as much of anything as I as I wish I had. Uh, real life has been keeping me busy, but when I've had some time, uh, I have been continuing uh, continuing to play Dominion's Five. Uh, but I have also spent some time with uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, not a 4X game, but of course. But uh, I've been a fan of that series uh, for a long time and could not resist when it was released uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I've mostly been spending my time with those two games. Awesome. What about you, Troy? Um, I've been playing World of Tanks Blitz. And let's see, did I play anything else this past week? Um, oh, I got into some Endless Legend for a little bit. Just wanted to get back into it and, and look at all the changes that have happened here recently. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm thinking about picking up uh, Off-World Trading Company again just because it's so fast. That's what I need. I need games that can play fast. So uh, World of Tanks Blitz, like if I spend half an hour, I can get in six matches, maybe more. That um, Off-World nice. Trading Company... Half an hour, I can beat a game, or I can get beat by the game nice. more accurately. So uh, those short games are really what I'm kind of interested in right now. How about you, Nate? Uh, I've been playing, I've been wrapping up my Oriental Empires, playing, just getting some grabbing. I figured out the art thing, so I had to grab a little bit oh, more art for the review. So by the time that you hear this, the review for Oriental Empires will be up. And the Audible extension for it will be recorded, but it might not. The Audible extension might not be posted for a week or two because we got a bunch of articles we need to post up. So just keep that in mind. And then um, I've been playing some uh, Endless Legend Inferno also. And interestingly enough, all that playing that I've done recently of Endless Legend kind of inspired me. So I wrote the review for that too, which is also done. So that's another thing that's getting at it. That's two of the four that I promised. And then I'm going to start syncing time. By the time you hear this, I will have already put in at least an hour or two into Space Tyrant. So I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to put a nice chunk of time in the next month or so into it so I can review it. And then I'll start. Let me see. What else? Anything else? A little bit of Star Control Origins. Uh, I was going to play a little bit of Four Triumph. Just didn't have the time this week. And... You know how I, how I said in, I think it was last week's show or the week before, how I bought the PS3 Spider-Man, PS4 Pro Spider-Man edition? Right. So yeah. I, it's still in the box. I have it. All right. So you bought it. That's the first step. Yeah. I, you know what else I bought? No. A Switch. Good for you, man. Hey, you are going to sleep at some point, right? Yeah. Do you know what the Switch is doing? <laughs> Uh, is it holding up the box for your PlayStation? <laughs> it's sitting in a box right next to the PlayStation box. I haven't even opened it. But I got a Switch. I have a PS4 Pro. I have two games. to. I have, I have Spider-Man that came with the PS4 Pro. And then I have uh, Persona 5. And I have uh, Infamous Second Son. 
And then for the Switch, I have Mario Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. I have not played any of those games, and I will not fire either of those two systems up until I finish my reviews. That is a promise I make. See, that's not... If I don't, then you can come and complain to me. But until the four <laughs> reviews are up, don't complain to me that I'm not writing reviews. I am. I, I'm, I'm getting caught up. So I think that's it. So let's wrap it up. I want to... Micah, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And a big shout out to our patrons. You you all make this possible, so we really appreciate it. And we had a tiny little uptick in our support. So the more the merrier, because Troy needs, <laughs> Daddy needs a new chair. <laughs> so I think you're searching. Are you making? <laughs> We're gonna go. get one here real soon. <laughs> so you're searching for a replacement for your chair now. Right. Okay, well, as soon as you find it, let me know, and we'll use Patreon money to replace it. And, Micah, you sounded really good today, so I think your microphone situation is resolved for the time being. Good. Okay, very good. So that's it. So just as a big thank you for listening, we really appreciate all of you. We really hope you enjoyed the 200th show that we had recently and the strategic expanse where Mark was having a blast (laughs) and all of us right there next to him. So we'll we'll have more of those in the future. And uh, I think that's it for me. All right. We'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to us. We really enjoyed having you. This has been Troy, Micah, and Nate for Explorminate. Take care, everyone. See ya. Bye.